sleep, motherfucker. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You bruised half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it is Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Thanks for joining the show, everybody. You know how you can get involved in the show, Brian. Tell them where to send that note to. Email us, wearethestoryguys at gmail.com, like our buddy Dan did. This is what he writes this week. About 10 years ago, I was working around Clear Lake, Iowa, and I heard rumors around the town that when they were remodeling the police station and moved some filing cabinets, supposedly they found Buddy Holly's glasses could this possibly be true love your episodes keep it up signed dan dan what an awesome letter thanks for the question buddy are are buddy holly's glasses the first rock and roll fashion accessory you know i I think the leather jacket is in there but that's like brando and james dean like i think if you really think about it i think buddy's glasses are first well yeah okay and I, i remember seeing pictures of buddy holly when i was a kid and immediately thinking like that dude is is cool like that dude is rock uh, and I, I sort of remember feeling a difference also between him and, and guys like Ricky Nelson. And I think the glasses were the difference because there was just something about them that seemed edgier for some reason. But I, I don't know if this is yeah. if this is continued, if people still feel this way about those glasses, because my youngest kid is in middle school. And recently we ordered him some replacement glasses online and he like went through the demo to try to like figure out, you know, it's like weird when you order glasses online. And so he picked some frames he thought were cool. And he got them, and they were way bigger than he thought they were going to be. I thought they looked super cool. He did not think they looked cool at all. And me telling him that he had Buddy Holly vibes was not helping him whatsoever. Nah, he, that was just a terrible... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you look kind of like Klinger from MASH. Like, you gave, <laughs> gave him a reference that goes nowhere. We've talked about Buddy on the show before. And Dan, if you haven't, if you haven't heard, it's episode 81. And w- there was a listener asking us about Yacht Rock, Canadian Yacht Rock. And somehow... We talked a whole lot and learned a lot about Bobby V. Well, and we talked about uh, we talked about Buddy recently too on the Robbie Robertson episode because remember Robbie claims he got guitar advice at at a Buddy Holly show from Buddy himself when he was like fourteen. And you gotta hope it's true because it sounds awesome. <laughs> it's but a cool story. We'll continue. Um, but if we're going to talk about his eyewear, I assume let's go back to his childhood and not just his glory days. There you go, Buddy Holly was born September 7th, 1936. And get this name. I don't think a lot of people know this. He was born Charles Harden Holly, H-O-L-L-E-Y. But Buddy was a nickname he got a long time ago from the beginning, and it never went away. Yeah, familial nicknames are such a funny thing. Like, I remember driving to meet my now wife's family for the first time, and she she in the car is like, I have to talk to you about something. <laughs> And you're like, whoa, man, what is this, right? Uh, is there, are there bodies in the backyard? Like, you know, are, are we going to eat some weird ritualistic soup? Like, what's going to happen? Uh, and she says, nobody in my family calls me by my first name. And I was like, what do they call you? And she was really embarrassed to say that they exclusively called her Sissy, which I'm sure came from her having a much younger sibling. Uh, and so mm-hmm. she was just always referred to as the sister, right? But I think this phenomenon is actually, like, really common, where you have families that will call a member something and then it just sort of sticks and becomes... I mean, we have a mutual friend uh, who (laughs) was like the third Charles in his family. And so they called him Baby Charles. And then when they couldn't call him Baby Charles anymore, they called him BC. And when I met him, I literally thought that's what his name was. Like, 
that was initials to his first and middle name. That is not the case. His name is Charles. I found out later, I thought his name was BC too. At some point in my life, my current spouse basically said, you have to stop it with this last name stuff because I would just introduce myself with my last name. That's Murdoch. Because every... Right, yeah. because my 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 whatever name is, you know, it could get it's so generic that people forget it, and then people like come up and they're like, "Oh, hey," and they'll have the name wrong. I, I forget that I call you your your last name. Like that, that's a really good point. I ask you this question, forgetting that yes, you are a great example of someone who who basically goes by a a not really a nickname, but not your your first name. If I say Mark in my house to my family. They don't know who I'm talking about. No, no, I refer right, to you as Murdoch right. at all times. So yeah, that's a that's actually right. a, that's a, a really good point. Uh, it, Buddy starts playing the guitar and singing with a pal of his named Bob. Uh, that's a that's a little more normal. And uh, they're like in the seventh grade, but it's not too long after this that he goes in for this standard like school issued eye exam, and the staff realizes that he cannot read the chart at all. Like, not even the top line of the chart. Yeah, and come to find out, those of you who understand what your prescription is, Buddy has 200, 800. No, 2,800. 2,800. Sorry, sorry. 2,800, I apologize. (laughs) See, you have like 2020 vision, Brian. You don't even know what the hell this means. So (laughs) mine are like... It sounds bad. That's all I know. That sounds terrible. 2,800? Mine are like 2,275, 2,300. Yeah, 2,800 is... So it's like a third of that. It's not good. So Holly and Montgomery, they're playing music around town by this point, and Bully, Buddy's pissed about these glasses, right? Because it, it doesn't work, and he's thinking there's no way to make them look cool. So he wants to wear... Like, he doesn't want to wear them when he performs. Like, I can imagine how awful this would try to even try to do this. So he tries that once and he drops his guitar pick and ends up having to crawl on the oh freaking God. stage to know. get close enough to find the guitar pick that he's dropped. And let me tell you when I have to turn in my house and be like, can someone find my glasses? Like it's a helpless <laughs> feeling knowing how blind you really are. Well, and you know, at least now there are other options. Uh, you know, there are folks who you might not even know need uh, help in the eye department because they're wearing contacts all the time or whatever. Right. But contacts back in the 1950s are not uh, what they are today. And you couldn't wear them for very long. That was the problem because they would float over your cornea and have to be just in the right spot. So I read this story that yeah. said that Buddy would like was so desperate to not wear the glasses, he does try contacts at one point, specifically for an audition. And so he and Bob go, and they time the whole thing so that he can have them in just for the time that they're supposed to be on stage. So they get called up. They're supposed to be the next act to go up on stage and do the audition. He runs to the bathroom. He puts the contacts in. He comes back out. And they're like, actually, before this next act comes up, we're going to go take a bathroom break. And so the judges leave, which throws off the timeline. And so now he's stuck with these things in his eyes. And by the time he actually has to get up and perform, he cannot see in front of him. He can't see the people he's performing for. I'm not saying I was born in 1940, Brian, but those first (laughs) contacts I got, they, those first, this is true. 
the first contacts I got were like that. They were hard lenses. And the first day I had them, they had, they had torn like oh. tears in my eye. Oh. And I had to go to the optometrist. And they put the, the Led Zeppelin black light over it to where you could see oh. it and just put like something, you know, and it's the fastest healing organ. So, but you know, thanks mom and dad. I don't want, how old you were know, you when you got glasses? Not have a sh- uh, eight. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you, I mean, you got them very young and that's you're at their very early eighties when you, when you're wearing them for the first time. That's correct. So yeah, I was like, you know, getting a shiv stuck in my eye. Uh, but anyway, so let's give back buddy Holly instead of me and my parents <laughs> trying to murder me with my eyeballs and contact lenses. So when he realizes that he has to play in actual glasses, he gets the yeah. thinnest, clearest frames he can find but still takes them off while he's being photographed because he thinks that they're not cool. But at a certain point, he realizes just from the practicality of being able to to do anything, he embraces it all. Yeah, he's just going to have to, right? And so we're talking about how the movies influenced the adoption of the leather jacket, right? You mentioned just in passing James Dean, Marlon Brando. They probably brought the jacket to rock music. Like, even though they weren't rock musicians, it really came through mass media. And... As much as we might like to say that Buddy is the originator of these glasses, a little research shows that Buddy was influenced by pop culture as well. Do you remember Sergeant Bilko? Ah, uh, the remake with Steve Martin. I do. Yes. It's okay. It's a remake. So there was a, the there original. was a remake in 1996, okay, that starred Steve Martin. And I remember really wanting to see that movie because it was rated PG and it meant I was allowed to see it and it wasn't a cartoon. Because I was like 13 and my parents were pretty strict about what I could go watch. <laughs> I was like, sweet, Sergeant Belko. Uh, that was 96. But rewind back another 40 years. And in the mid-50s, the origin point of that character is on the Phil Silvers show, right? So Phil Silvers, a comedian and a writer, he played this character on this show named Ernest Bilko, who's a sergeant in the army and is sort of like an early forerunner of Michael Scott, right? He's a boss who's way dumber right. than the people he manages, and he leads them in all these ridiculous hijinks. And the whole time he does it, he's wearing black plastic glasses rims. Never saw the original, but I know about it, and I'll tell you why it's sort of a punchline kind of at the end. First, this was shot in New York and not L.A., and at the time, that was totally unusual. Yeah, that was weird. So they had live studio audiences and they had memorized run-throughs like it was a stage play. So it ran into like there was a lot of theatrical elements, meaning like it's like Jimmy Fallon on SNL. So like the funny parts <laughs> were that they messed up sometimes. Yeah. Um, because that if you think about it, like that really influenced a lot of TV. And if you think about the concept and how that show is built, you'll understand why that supposedly is Larry David's favorite show of all time. Yes. And I went back in the course of researching the show and watched some. You can you can find full episodes on YouTube. And it I mean, I, it, it's a sitcom from the 1950s, but it's it's pretty good. And Phil Silvers is very good at it. And uh, it, it's supposedly, though, the optometrist who, who I think makes this connection. So Buddy has this one consistent optometrist when he's going through all of this eye stuff as a kid. And this guy, I guess, like understands the plight he's going through as he's trying to be a public persona and still has to wear glasses. And so he tries to pitch Buddy on this idea. He's like, you know, have you ever watched Bilko? He's like, you ever watched Bill Silvers? 
Like Sergeant Bilko, his whole thing's the glasses. Like so, he's like pitching Buddy Holly on this idea of being like Sergeant Bilko. You can do the same thing. He actually, he's actually on vacation. This optometrist in Mexico, and walks by a store where he sees a couple of pairs of glasses frames that look sort of like Bilko's, and he goes in and grabs them, buys them, brings them back for his young patient, and lets Buddy choose a pair. And Buddy, as we all know now chose the black pair and so obviously as a rock and roller buddy was going to mess these up when he's out playing you know music however five six nights a week on the road every day pretty much so that same optometrist claims that he supplied buddy with frames for years and he would show up for replacements with a whole crew of people along for the ride with him. And the optometrist is a direct quote from him. Quote, I always knew when he was out front because I could hear them beating the time to a song on the corner in the waiting room. (laughs) That's that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, So eventually, Buddy's going to get established. He gets married. He moves to New York. And when he's far away from Texas, he'll buy his frames through an optometry office in Manhattan and not through this this guy in Texas that he grew up with. Uh, but this place uh, seems to source them from the same spot in, in Mexico. Oh, so by the timeline we're at now, let's think about the the day the music died. So February 3rd, 59, he's on the airplane with Richie Valens and the Big Bopper, and one of those black pairs of glasses is on him. Hey, have you ever been to the surf ballroom? I, I've never been, and I love, it's like ballparks. I want to go to every concert venue, like ever, like anywhere, but I know what it is, but I've never been. Yeah, I, I want to go too, especially after reading more about it here, but I, it's still open. It's still a thing. And that, this, of course, is the site of the last Buddy Holly show. It happens February 2nd, 1959. And, and it is indeed in Clear Lake, Iowa, which is where Dan says he was working when he heard this story. Now, it's in the next few months hosting... The following artists, John Waite, sign me up, Mickey Dolan's from the Monkees, been there, done that, and BTO, Bachman Turner Overdrive, all going to play the surf ballroom in the next uh, few months. And in 98, the surf ballroom, this is the most how I knew, learned about it really, was inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the ballroom category because it is in a book, Brian, about concert venues that I have. So I actually have seen a photograph of it, which is wacky, but never been there. Clear Lake is tiny. And so even now, it's like 7,000 people, maybe. So it begs the question, whenever you read this story about Buddy Holly playing here, like, why? Why was he here? And why was this concert tour that was supposed to be a pretty big deal playing there? If you go back to episode 81 uh, with the Bobby V episode, we went pretty deep on that one. And here's a quick refresher about buddy holly you might know this from our other episodes he had a bunch of bad deals yeah with he, management and he had a terrible else. manager like most people at the time and not uh artist positive uh management deals and so he, he has this guy who's been screwing him around he eventually will dump him once that guy's out of the picture, he needs cash. So he signs a deal with this really large booking agency. It's like the second largest one in the nation, at the, or maybe in the world at the time. And they send him out on this tour. He thinks he's going to get an international tour out of it. That's sort of what baits him to do it. So the, the due he has to pay, 
the way it's sort of pitched to him, I think, is, okay, we'll get you the dates you want, but right now we need you to join this tour that we have put together that is touring the Midwest in the dead of winter. Yeah. Uh, And so the bus breaks down. The drummer gets frostbite. And so when the the bus is going to leave Iowa that night, Buddy charters a plane because he doesn't want to be on that freezing road in the bus anymore. And that, of course, is the fateful decision that ended his life. So there is actually uh, action, legal action taken against this company, this talent booking company Mm -hmm. later for how badly run this tour is. Uh, It is just awful. Uh, But there's some good reporting that gets revisited by the Des Moines Register over the last few years, and you can find it in the show notes. There's really good photos, both of the night that everything happens and of the landmarks now. But basically what happens is he gets in this chartered plane, and it goes up, and then it very quickly comes back down. It hits a field not far from where it takes off. And, of course, you know, things just go flying. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Three young singers who soared to the heights of show business on the current rock and roll craze were killed today in the crash of a light plane in an Iowa snow flurry. The singers were identified as Richie Vallon, 17, Buddy Holly, 22, and J.P. Richardson, known professionally as the Big Bopper. The aircraft chartered from the Dwyer Flying Service crashed near Mason City, ironically the setting for the prominent musical The Music Man. The pilot, Roger Peterson of Clear Lake, Iowa, was also killed. The three singers had appeared at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa last night and were on their way to Fargo, North Dakota. Their small chartered plane crashed in a lonely farmyard about 15 miles northwest of Mason City. Cause of the crash was due to inclement weather conditions. Details upcoming from Action Central News. The death certificate issued for Buddy Holly is by the Chero Gordo County Coroner noted the clothing he was wearing the presence of a leather suitcase near his body and the following personal effects. The first being my favorite cash, $193 might less $11 and 65 cents coroner fees, which is one eighty one thirty five. This is the messed up. Fee out they of the took the coroner fee out, the out of his pocket, out of his pocket. That is unbelievable to me. I'm glad you noticed that too. Cause I read, I ran across that at one point and I was like, wait a second. I had to reread it to make sure I was reading it correctly. There's two cufflinks. A top portion of a ballpoint pen and what's not listed? No glasses. That's right. There's no glasses. So this is February. There's snow everywhere in part. That's part of the problem, right? So the glasses are thrown from the wreckage and they're buried in the snow. So when do they find them? So it's April. So you just go a couple months ahead because remember, this is a literally a cornfield. So despite the tragedy, the farmer who owns it still has to work it. Oh, my God. And when the thaw, th- right? That's weird. And when the thaw hits, yeah, um, he starts prepping the field and he finds some stuff that he pretty sure is from that crash. And Brian, you want to read some of that? The yeah. list that was he found uh, among the items he found were a cigarette lighter. A watch that had the Big Bopper's initials engraved on it, J.P. Richardson, J.P.R., and Buddy Holly's famous glasses. Right. But when he called the local sheriff to come and collect the items, they were placed in an envelope labeled Charles Harden 
Holly received April 7th, 1959 with his real legal name on it with the date when they found those items. And he was taken back to the county courthouse and got filed away in a filing cabinet drawer. So there's no news bulletin. There's no alerting the family. They just treat this thing like, I guess, with the due process they do for anything where it's like, oh, here's evidence that goes to this case. Put it in this file. They, they didn't think about That's sharing this with anyone. Totally correct. So for the next 21 years, oh my God. everyone thinks that those glasses went missing. So Dan's letter says that the rumor he heard specifically had a mm-hmm. remodeling going on at the police station that caused them to move filing cabinets to find the glasses. Is that what happens? Could be what happened. Those kinds of details often get lost or added over time, but the slightly less fantastic version of the tale that we found in the research here says that on February 29th, haha, 1980, Sheriff Jerry Allen is just sorting through some old files and notices them. And remember, his name's on the envelope. Ah, leap day. Lucky leap day. Right. Right. Yeah. It's when your, your birthday's every four years, um, which is handy. So Buddy Holly's parents claim the glasses, as did his widow that he married early on, Maria Alina. And so it goes to the courts, and a little over a year later, in March of 81, Sheriff Allen sends the glasses to Maria Alina, his widow. She holds on to them until October of 1998, but eventually sells them to what is basically the Chamber of Commerce of that town of Lubbock, Texas. And then they donate them to the city. So you can go and see them at the Buddy Holly Center today. Man, we've like officially hit that age where it's, it's, you know, I remember people used to say, I need a vacation for my vacation or like I need a holiday for my holiday. But like, (laughs) you know, all the holiday stuff, dude, and you just get to the other side of it and totally worn out. Are you beat from all of the the craziness and the chaos of Christmas and, and whatever else? Yeah. Yeah, it, it stinks when you ask your kid, what are we doing next? And they're like, what do you mean, what are we doing next? We just talked about that a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so I, I struggle. So it's been, a, it's been very helpful for me to try to find some type of solution for the holidays to keep up with work and buying presents and which ones I've wrapped and when I ran out of stickers. <laughs> we, we live similar lives. Who, who gets what? We live similar lives. I, you know, you try coffee and it's like, how many cups of coffee can you have? And so uh, recently I'd heard about Magic Mind and and our friends at Magic Mind had uh, hooked us up with uh, some samples. And I'll tell you, all the hype, all the stuff that they say about it is true. Uh, There is caffeine in it, it, but it's from the matcha. uh, And it, it takes longer to release, so it helps reduce the stress, you know, that you feel from... Um, taking, you know, getting caffeine really fast. Uh, and, you know, it's just yeah. full of natural ingredients, mushrooms and other stuff. And it really clears my mind, man. Help me, help me make sure that the presents got wrapped in the correct order. And, you know, I didn't give the wrong thing to the wrong person in the family and all that sort of stuff. It was nice. I don't know that coffee actually helps me do any of those things. So this has been like terrific for me to, to give it a shot and see how well I could remember things and kind of stay focused because I mean, I can get pretty unfocused sometimes with the amount of things that are going on. So it's kind of been a godsend to be doing this instead of coffee for sure. 
Yeah, uh, it's always good when the kids are like, "Dad, you seem you seem sharper today." <laughs> I'm so glad you understand what's happening. Uh, if you want to try it for yourself and see if it helps you, MagicMind.com/slash/bedtime-stories, and you can use our special code bedtime twenty to get fifty six percent off your subscription uh, for the next ten days. So just go check that out, MagicMind.com/slash/bedtime-stories. The code is bedtime twenty two zero b e d t i m e two zero you know i was thinking about there being other glasses in rock history like if you were to say like what are the most famous the most famous eyewear in rock history you basically have buddy holly and then the other one are john lennon glasses right yeah sort of like if you say john lennon glasses or buddy holly glasses people immediately know what you're talking about they they do but there's definitely a case to be made that you don't get the Beatles without the crickets, and at least in a certain sense, right? And a, in a lot of ways, Buddy is synonymous with the image and the glasses, and the Beatles existed without, like John, List, he, was, he didn't have the glasses the whole time. They inspire the name of the band, the crickets, the Beatles. Yeah. And Buddy really breaks the expectations around front men and glasses. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true, because you think about the other, well, you know, other big glasses would be Elton John and Roy Orbison, right? And they all come after Buddy. I mean, I think now, like, if, if you have a, a front man that wears glasses, and he wears big frames, I mean, the hold steady, right? Craig Finn wears glasses, Buddy Holly glasses, mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, you, yeah. it, it, it is an acceptable, like, rock and roll thing, but that... You know, this is the very beginning of rock and roll, and as we heard about, you know, with the struggle that Buddy had in accepting himself wearing glasses, there was not a precedent for this. So he sets the precedent, and it really does sort of change the way glasses are seen for the rest of rock and roll history, which is cool. But this leads me leads us to another aspect of Buddy Holly and fashion that is probably worth fixing the back end of this conversation, and that's not Buddy Holly the performer, but Buddy Holly the song. By Weezer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think for guys our age, our relationship with Buddy Holly is different than people before or after us because of that song. By the way, it turns 30 years old uh, next year. So, for real. Oh, man. Um, dead, dead serious, Brian. It's 94. I'm in college radio. Geffen does not work this record on me at all. Really? I don't hear about it from... From the label, no. There were these two fraternity guys that would call my, like, just like the heavy metal alternative show. It was like Friday nights. And they would ask for Napalm Death or Cannibal Corpse. Oh, yeah, as you they do. They would listen to my show. Yeah, right. They would listen to my show at their freaking parties. <laughs> um, and then one day, one of them, because they also were a major of, of the same major, and so I would physically see them. And one day, one of them goes, dude, why aren't you playing the Weezer record? It's like the best record like ever to come out in like eons. I had no idea what he was talking about. And it was crazy high praise. And he's so true based on the songs, the production and everything about it. Here's an interesting little minor what if moment in rock history. The original song, no reference to Buddy Holly. The lyric was yeah. the lyric was actually ooh wee ooh you look just like Ginger Rogers oh oh I move like Fred Astaire the the song is yeah. not about his eyewear and not about his nerdiness 
So Rivers supposedly wrote it about how he was getting mocked by his buddies because of his girlfriend. Remind us of the, the lyrics to the first verse. What's with these homies dissing my girl? Why do they got a front? What did they ever do to these guys that made them so violent? <laughs> When you read it out loud, it's like, ah, it's, there's yeah. something else there. What's with the homies dissing my girl? Yeah, you're right. It like Just reading it dry like that, totally different vibe. Uh, the story goes that it not only, not only did it have different lyrics, the song was not supposed to make the cut for the album. Rivers didn't no. really like it. Like He thought it was too goofy for the band and too much of a novelty. Now, remember, Rick Ocasek of the Cars produces the Blue Album, and he can hear the song's potential, and he has to convince Rivers to keep it. Yeah. Think about Buddy Holly by Weezer is like Creep by Radiohead or Sex on Fire by Kings of Leon. It was totally going to be left off, left off, and now it's like synonymous with their success. So here's a quote from Rick Ocasek. By the way, I was stoked finding out that Rick Ocasek was producing this record. Um, so here's, here's a quote. Quote, I remember at one point, he was hesitant to do Buddy Holly. And I was like, Rivers, we can talk about it. Do it anyway. And if you don't like it when it's done, we won't use it. And here's a better quote. And this comes from Matt Sharp, the uh, bass player at the time. Rick said we'd be stupid to leave it off the album. We'd come in the studio in the morning and find little pieces of paper with doodles on them that said, we want Buddy Holly. I adore the idea of fucking Rick Ocasek of the Cars taking the time to write that on post-it notes and leave it in the studio and remember everybody it's not the first single the first single on that on the blue record is undone the sweater song here's what explain this to me murdoch because i do not understand this why would rivers think that buddy holly was too much of a novelty song and the sweater song wasn't you know what I, i i don't know how to answer that but i i can i can just sort of like you know come back with this statement which is Rivers was on Conan O'Brien's podcast and he said that he realized either, oh yeah, they opened for Metallica. Weezer opened for Metallica on a couple dates, definitely not here in the United States. And Rivers had this moment where he realized that the sweater song was Welcome Home Sanitarium, but just in a major key. Yeah, yeah. That he had completely <laughs> ripped off the Metallica song. Um, that is true. Sort of like, yeah, that drop. Yep, yep. That's funny. Yeah, and for me, both of those songs are kind of goofy and cheesy. So I don't know. So to bring us back to where we started for a moment, we set up top. We we're talking about movies. You know, Brando, James Dean. We're talking about TV, Bilko, and then music. They come together, they form this synergy, and it creates the iconography. We get the leather jacket, and then we get the glasses. The visual component of this song is really what makes it stick, the video. Oh, good God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Happy Days music video. And it's not just the video that is of note here. It it is how the video gets distributed. I had forgotten this, and I love the synchronicity involved here, because it's Buddy Holly who helps create and break rock and roll. And it's Weezer singing about Buddy Holly that sort of first fully merges pop music into the internet. So first, give us the basics on this video, if, if people have just forgotten or lived under a rock or whatever. Pat Wilson, the drummer, told Rational Alternative Digital, this is from 95, we rebuilt the inside of Arnold's and we dressed up and we would film a scene. We 
bought some film footage of Happy Days and then put it together. And when they filmed us, they processed it to make it look a little grainy so that it matched the quality of the old footage of Happy Days. And for the most part, it looked really good. When he says we, it's important to point out that he is talking about Spike Jones, a.k.a. Adam Spiegel. This guy's filmmaker, director, known for all sorts of envelope pushing over the last 30 years. You may remember the movie Her. That one comes to mind, but there's been a whole bunch of other ones. Uh, uh, being John Malkovich, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But this is one of his first big splashes that he makes. He, I, I did not know this about him, but he comes out of the BMX scene. Like He likes to ride BMX bikes, and then he starts filming other people and photographing other people riding BMX bikes. And at some point, one of the the cyclists that he takes this video of takes the video that Spike had shot and shows it to Kim Gordon. And Kim Gordon is yeah, so, yeah, isn't that crazy? Kim Gordon is like, dude, we should make a breeder's video out of that looks like this. This is basically what he's done before the Weezer stuff. He's done a few videos, one of them being Last Splash. And then he gets his gig with Weezer. I never watched any of the, the bike stuff, any of the BMX stuff. And for me, once the videos and the movies happen, like I, that's where I became much more familiar with him. I was aware that he was a BMX like athlete, but I didn't know anything about him. So they have this video. This all drops at the end of 94. And by 95, it's getting plenty of MTV airplay. But something else happens in 1995. This story is so messed up. Windows 95. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, how the hell did we get here? Why are we talking about an operating system for a computer? Oh, oh well, hang on. We'll tell you why. The, the context that is, is really important here, and there is this great piece in the show notes. Uh, Nostalgia Nerd did this video on YouTube. Watch this if you want to go really deep on what is happening in the world of computers and in in pop culture at the time that sort of all coalesces here. Uh, We'll just give you the cliff notes. But basically, Apple and Microsoft are competing really hardcore for the computer market at this point. And Apple is like constantly nagging Microsoft because Apple was basically basically saw themselves as smarter, not proletariat, right? Like, hey, we're we're a computer for people who really understand computers. And the PC is a computer for people who don't understand computers. And so Microsoft realizes that if they're going to win this battle, they need to make computers seem like something everybody wants and needs to have. And they need to capitalize on the hip factor and becoming top of mind. So they decide to do something that Apple hasn't done in the same way, which is pour money into advertising and promotions. Now, we will see Apple take this playbook later, and they will be... Remember at the beginning of the 2000s when the iPod comes out and how synonymous certain pop songs we know are with the iPod, where we just think of them as like the iPod song or whatever. So they, they will do this stuff, obviously, later, and it's a little more directly correlated when it's a music playing device. But... This this is basically what's happening in 1995 as Weezer is about to hit it. Meanwhile, Microsoft is just pouring money into permeating pop culture. And along the way, Microsoft has a talk with David Geffen, Geffen Records, Weezer's label, Nirvana's label, about music they might be able to include in the Windows 95 startup disc when they had those. And David Geffen gives them the video for this new band called Weezer, and he never tells them about it at all. None of the guys own a computer. 
Okay, none of the guys in Weezer. So they don't have any idea this is happening, and they don't understand what it means to be happening. This is a quote from drummer Pat Wilson. Are you ready? It's, quote, I was furious because at the time I was like, how are they allowed to do this without our permission? It turns out it was one of the greatest things that could have happened to us. Can you imagine that happening today? It's like, here's one video on YouTube. It's your video. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is pretty insane when you think about the idea of there being no nothing else and it's not entirely true there actually is another video on there but it's Edie Brickell's good time <laughs> it's not not a highly competitive oh. video there's two videos okay and uh it, it rivers it's not from shitting rubber bands at the stars it's uh, yeah follow-up record well, yeah right uh here's a fun fact though about this video rivers does not wear glasses in the buddy holly video which I had forgotten. See, I feel like he does, but he doesn't. He doesn't. I, wow. I actually went back and looked. Yeah. And I mean, let's talk about your glasses. I mean, you basically wear Buddy Holly glasses. You have most of the time that I've known you. I guess. I mean, they weren't like the big, huge round ones, but I've always had like sort of black ones. Oh, yeah, black frames. I had a, a pair that was more, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain, but they were like rectangles instead of bigger like that. And I had a business meeting that was not here. It was in another city. Um, and I was trying to find, I was like, there's a table full of people I was meeting. And then eventually I, I didn't know any of them. And I sat down and we had like a terrific time talking. And then one of them said, you know, we've had a really good time. We were all joking. We saw you, we saw your glasses and we thought you were going to be an asshole. <laughs> and I thought, man, I'm never getting rid of these freaking glasses. Ever. For business meetings, like I don't care if the lenses are scratched and just walking know, in with that with that Buddy Holly swagger. Do, do you ever celebrate yeah. any of the Buddy Holly uh tribute albums? I have like multiple, like literally sitting on my desk. This one, uh Rave On, that's got yeah, this that's, is from Eleven. Did you have this one? That's the only one I've got. Yeah, this one's got the Black that Keys, one. Fiona Apple, uh Paul McCartney, Florence and the Machine. Who does I'm Gonna Love You Too? That's my favorite one on there. I'm, you say you're gonna love me. Yeah, Jenny O does it on this album. And then there's another Jenny O. There's another yeah. Buddy Holly tribute that came out around the same time. Uh, that one's called Rave on Buddy Holly. The other one I'm thinking of is called Listen to Buddy Holly, I think. And I just remember it has Train. Are all, they're all good. I mean, those songs are just pop songs. And so regardless of whose hands they're in, they, they, they hit pretty hard. Uh, if you've got a question uh, that you want us to look into, we'd love to do that for you. You know how to get a hold of us. We are the story guys at gmail.com. And you can support the show at patreon.com. If you just go uh, to backslash rock and roll bedtime stories, throw in five or $10 a month and grab extra uh, episodes of the show, including what we just uploaded last week, our top songs of 2023. You want to hear what we've been listening to and what we're really excited about. Um, you can hear us count those down to each other. Um, and we also uh, are on Instagram, Instagram.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. You can get involved there. Um, and until next time, Murdoch, what should people keep doing? Thanks for listening and keep telling stories. Rock and roll bedtime stories is a story guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts and book the guys for your conference or house party at we are the story guys.com. Copyright boy have we got stories productions. All rights reserved.